The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. How's the sound? Is, it, is that okay? Not too... I hear a little feedback, but maybe, maybe lower a little bit. The house sound. How's that? Is that or maybe, maybe. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, maybe. How does that sound? Is it okay? Okay. Um, it's nice to be back here on Tuesday morning. Um, and it. Um, feels good to sit together and I, th- I thought for this morning to say um, a few words about um, the value of sitting or the value of having a meditation practice in difficult times in troubled times and um, You know, sometimes Dharma talks or meditation talks focus on the realm of, I would almost say the realm of meditation technique or meditation states, you know, talking about um, the nuances of the breath or different ways of paying attention or different states of consciousness that uh, may arise in meditation. And, and that's beautiful, that's important. I think it's an important part of the practice. And then sometimes it, f- it feels relevant or feels meaningful to maybe connect the practice that we do, this kind of very personal, intimate practice um, on the cushion to sort of the wider, the wider situation in our, in our in our community, in the in the in our country, so um, that feels I don't know that feels that feels relevant to me, and um, maybe from from the outside looking in, one might think that um, the value of a meditation practice is to sort of um, escape, you know. It's like we're bombarded with things on the news or, you know, social media. I, I made the mistake of checking the news before I, <laughs> before, I, before I came in and, you know, my head of all these things. Um, and... So looking at what we're doing, it might seem like, okay, well, um, meditation, Dharma practice, is a place to just get some relief. You know, come in, um, sort of find a place of calm, find a place of um, sort of emptiness or blankness of the mind. We don't have to think about all this stuff. We don't have to feel these things. And, you know, and there, there may be something to that, or there, there may be times when we use practice like that, and that's okay. 
Um, but far from being a sort of escape, there's a way that meditation practice can um, in a way it's like uh, bringing us closer in and in, in finding a way of 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 really um, I guess the word that's coming to mind is dukkha, is suffering. And um, if, if, we, if we understand our practice as uh, not as a place to escape our suffering, but rather as a skillful and safe container for meeting our suffering, encountering what's difficult um, in a deep way, this this very willingness to meet what's difficult is um, maybe what enables transformation. What enables us to take in the suffering in our life or the suffering in the world and transform it and be transformed by it. Um, there's this expression. Um, called the way-seeking mind, the mind that seeks the way. And for Dharma practice, for Buddhist practice, this is a very significant um, quality to awaken. Um, Maybe as significant or more significant than the other milestones of, you know, we talk about in in the practice. Um, This awakening the way-seeking mind um, and I would, I would say that everyone who's here, everyone who has encountered the Dharma, who has had the impulse to practice in some way, has awakened this way-seeking mind. Um, so in meditation centers, sometimes it's, um, it's common for new students to give a talk. And it's called the way-seeking mind talk. And the student talks about basically how they came to practice. And it's sort of like sharing one's life story. And um, in a way, all of these stories are different because all of our lives are different. The circumstances of our lives are different. But also in a way, all of these stories are the same or similar. Um, and and what they have in common is, um, I think, is some encounter with difficulty, some encounter with suffering, that that turns us, that turns us towards practice. Um, one of my teachers said that he, and this is at Zen Center where this this practice of giving this talk is is um, is common, and he said that. What he loves about the way-seeking mind talk is everyone is beautiful when they're giving their way-seeking mind talk. It's just the person sort of radi- is radiant somehow. And not because they're, you know, not because they're 
saying anything in particular or anything particularly special, but because they're really being who they are and sharing who they are. And in a way, it's a little bit, if you've ever been to an AA meeting, and I think there's, a, there's I can't remember what it's called, but there's a certain kind of talk that um, people sometimes give, and it has this feel of this beauty and this authenticity of um, the universal experience of, of encountering suffering in a deep way. And so, so this is the way-seeking mind. And it's said that um, what what awakens the way-seeking mind, what arouses the way-seeking mind is this, is this deep encounter, this meaningful encounter with suffering. But that's only half of it. That's only half of what it takes to wake up this mind. Um, in, in, in the teachings of the Buddha, there's another piece to this. And so... So there's the encounter with dukkha, the encounter with suffering, but there's also the, um, it's, it's allowing that, that meeting of our suffering to condition the arising of faith, of confidence, of trust. Usually, according to the Buddhist teaching, suffering sort of conditions its own negative feedback loop. And, um, but if we're lucky or if circumstances come together in a certain way, um, the experience of suffering can somehow um, inspire us or, or um, help us to see that maybe there's another way. Maybe there's another way of relating to our experience that won't produce more suffering. So usually suffering produces more suffering, just like, you know, anger produces more anger, fear produces more fear, you know, it's kind of this feeding cycle. But if you've ever been in, one of the ways I relate to this is dealing with my children. I have young children and um, you probably know that children often test boundaries and often you know, act in ways that adults can find a little bit frustrating or a little bit irritating. And what I realized is that if I push against the child with the same energy, you know, the same frustration or the same irritation, kind of this battle of the wills, it's like I've already lost. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's over. Um, one of my friends who has, a, who has a young daughter as well, she was saying that her daughter is so strong-willed that if she gets into a battle of wills, it's just, you know, she was saying she'll put, you know, as a, as a sort of consequence or punishment, put the daughter in her room and then the daughter will just kind of open the door and leave. So she'll kind of hold the door. So, you know, kind of keep her in the room. But so, and you kind of, you know, usually the child will try to open it and then, some point you give up but she said her daughter just never gives up you just keep keep pulling on the door so she have to keep holding the door and it's just this absurd you know how many minutes can you do that so that's the cycle of suffering um 
And maybe in moments of grace, in moments of insight, we realize that uh, there's another way. And it's about changing the energy. It's about, it's about um, taking a deep breath and instead of reacting with anger or with irritation, um, coming from another place inside and, 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 and perceiving what's underneath Maybe if we were with another person, what's underneath that dif- difficult, uh, you know, the acting out or the frustration? What need is not being met? Oh, maybe, maybe this child is really tired and is just really has sort of reached the limits of her self-control for whatever it is that day, or really, um, you know really just needs a hug, really just needs to be, um, needs some care, some affection. And, you know, we, we, we have a little insight. It's like, oh, and then if we can change the energy, that changes the energy, the other person. So, um, when we can meet suffering or difficulty with the inspiration that there is another, there's, there's a choice and there's always a choice. There's a choice of how to respond rather than reacting. That's, that's this quality of faith or this trust or confidence. Um, and when these two come together, it's said that the, the way-seeking mind is, is awakened. Um, What I've noticed in myself and what I've noticed in others is that often we come to practice or we come back to practice um, in response to um, the way I think about it is the intrusion of the truth of the uncontrollability of things, you know. Um, This is this is a, this is a little bit of a of a of a nuanced thing because having some sense of control, having some sense of agency about our life is very important, and I think it's probably impossible to be a healthy person or to have a healthy psyche without feeling like we have uh, some degree of control, some degree of control over how we are, our responses, our circumstances. Um, so that's. Uh, clearly an important part of life. And then there's this other piece, which is sort of the universal truth of, of impermanence, of, of the way that um, um, control is in many ways an illusion. You know, we, we We have to believe there's this, a, a, a degree of control, and there is, but there are also circumstances and forces that are, 
that are much wider than we can ever even conceive of that are happening, that brought us into being, that brought the world into being, and that are, that are continually happening. You know, this is what the Buddha called causes and conditions. You know, so things arise due to causes and conditions. Um, it's not random, um, just as the, in the way that, you know, if it rains, it's not like, you know, it's totally random. It's because of a cloud. A cloud came. And, you know, there are causes and conditions that bring things into being. And um, I think maybe the fundamental condition that as human beings we practice to come to terms with is the truth of impermanence, is the truth of, you know, um, all, all things, all experience is subject to change, subject to um, coming, coming together due to causes and conditions and then coming apart. And um, so is practice a way of becoming um, sort of like supermen, superwomen, so, you know, people who are completely invulnerable to change, you know, to loss, to suffering. We can practice so we get to a place where we don't feel pain when, when, when change happens. Um, I would say no. I would say that's not, that, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of practice. And rather than becoming invulnerable, um, there's a way in which practice makes us uh, paradoxically more and more vulnerable, more and more open, more and more um, willing to feel the suffering that comes with impermanence. And um, with, the, with this very small but very significant adjustment that when we can be in harmony with how things are, when we can be in harmony with um, the changing nature of things and see that this is also our nature to change, um, we stop resisting. We stop um, uh, demanding that life be other than how it is. We stop demanding that um, the world be according to my preferences. And this, this, this small shift in, 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 in seeing deeply and accepting how things are is what brings peace and what sort of enables us to see that our nature and the nature of things is actually peace. The nature of things is peace. We, you know, um, um, and, 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 and seeing this nature coming, in, coming into alignment with how things are, I would say that this is the meaning 
of what in the Dharma world is called refuge, is coming for refuge. Um, this beautiful word, which um, to me The word that comes to mind is safety. You know, what does it mean to be safe? What does it mean to come for safety? Um, and I hope that this place that I am see, this community, um, and this practice can be a refuge, can be um, a place of safety. Not because we're coming to um, sort of blank out our minds and zone out for 30 minutes and just forget all that crap that's going on and where, where, wherever, whether it's in our life or in politics or in uh, our relationship. But it is a refuge because it's a place of peace. It's a place where we can come and remember that there's a way of being, inhabiting our life, that is peaceful, that is fundamentally aligned with uh, truth. And when we're aligned with truth and we're, we are um, just simply listening to our minds, listening to our hearts, feeling what we're feeling, this very simple way, being with the body, being with the sensations of the body, following the breath, um, allowing emotions, allowing images and thoughts to just come and go in this very easy way. Um, we are inviting this peace, this beautiful sense of peace. Um, it's this fundamental way of respecting ourselves. And when we sense into this and, and dip into this peace, um, we have the the potential to share that peace with others, you know. And um, through the practice, through the sitting, we start to see that um, just in the way that it's a little bit arbitrary, this line between meditation practice and the rest of my life, you know, it's useful distinction in some ways, but it's a little bit arbitrary. In the same way, the, the line between self and other becomes a little bit arbitrary. We begin to identify with a wider and wider um, circle of life, a wider and wider circle of, of beingness, of humanity, of life, so, you know, usually we identify with um, maybe this body, or maybe it's this mind, these ideas I have, these thoughts. Um, we often identify with our family, you know, the people who are close to us, the people we may have responsibility for. But it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, it's an amazing thing through this simple practice, this simple practice of mindfulness, of awareness, of love, we start to um, grow, the circle starts to grow. So 
who and what we take responsibility for starts to grow. So it's not only that, um, you know, it's just me. If I can only take care of myself and my family and my house and, you know, keep it clean and keep the outside of it clean, but that's just my responsibility. Just, you know, we start to feel this sense of um, care and responsibility for the wider world. You know, if there's a piece of garbage on the street, a piece of litter, without thinking, we might just pick it up, put it in our pocket, put it, you know, because this whole world is our house. This whole world is our home. Um, we, we may um, see the news and, and, and hear about uh, refugees, people who have totally, maybe, have totally different lives than ours, totally different backgrounds. And rather than noticing our differences and noticing that separation and noticing, well, yeah, this stuff is going on, but I'm okay. At least for now, I'm okay we start to we start to feel something we start to to our heart is is their heart their pain is our pain we start to see that the the suffering and the diminishing of any anyone is is the diminishing of this one of this one is you know um And, and these feelings, this insight, it's, it's kind of amazing. It can come from this very simple practice of, of mindfulness, of awareness, of just a simply um, remembering who we are, touching into our humanity um, over and over again, um, and then allowing ourselves to be changed by that. And what it looks like, how it's expressed in the world is going to be different for each of us. You know, some people may be moved to um, donate money or donate time. Some people may be moved to um, volunteer. Some people may be moved to um, protest. Some people may be um, it may not take this outward sign so much, but it's expressed in interactions, just those little interactions that we have in, throughout the day with others. Um, we take the time to look again. I love this idea of the word respect. Spect meaning to see, you know, like spectator, spectacle, something, and re, you know, so to look, to look again, to look again, to take a moment to look again at who we are, to take a moment to look again at others, um, is just such a powerful, such a powerful practice, such a gift to the world. Um, that we there's something about 
um, just sitting here, sitting together, we can remember um, and discover our, our deep values and who we are. And, um, and, and let this light just, just shine. Let this light just manifest. It doesn't have to be anything special, um, but, it, but it really is a gift. Okay, maybe maybe that's uh, that's enough uh, on you know some some thoughts on the value of sitting or the value of practice. I'm curious to hear from you if you if you you know any response any. Um, Questions or thoughts about this topic, or, or simply to share for you what what is the value, of, of of meditation for you? What is how, how does this, um, how does this? Why you know why do you why do you do it? What, how does it manifest in your life? because it resonates and I've been curious through this whole scene how um, it's, it's paradoxical it's like taking it all in um, and really feeling sad um, does bring peace it's like this equanimity and to to the habitual self, it feels a little strange not to i I feel outraged at times at the political situation, especially this last week, but I don't feel oppositional or angry you know there's more of a shock like a, oh my goodness <laughs> can't believe this but but it's not it, and it's been weird. You know, from a, from my habitual self to notice that, um, and I I think that highlights something. You know, the more general experience of that, but it, since this is so heightened and so you know, in our area anyway, so um, such a part of the collective. It, they makes me really notice it in myself. Um, that piece, and um, there has to be a fair amount of reminder because a couple things can happen in that. Um, one is missing the attachment to things being the way I want them to be, especially happy things and the juice that comes with that. And so to, um, instead, to notice when I'm focusing on that, which is a form of resistance and attachment itself, and come back into the peace or go inward more deeply into the just being with. 
And similarly with the collective, like, um, although fortunately I have a number of, you know, spiritual friends, so I get this mirrored. But in terms of the collective and I should be, or why aren't I, or what's wrong with me that I'm not, you know, out there with my guns <laughs> <laughs> emotionally, um, and then just step back and okay, that's not going to help. And this is a genuine response in me from where I am now, or lack of response in a way. So I just really appreciate your talk and linking those different pieces. And yeah, it yeah. helps that part of me that feels like there's something wrong. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I, this, I think you highlight this idea of the paradox of um, what is it to that 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 finding peace is not a betrayal, you know, is not. Um, you know, the peace comes from accepting what's already ha here, what's already happening. And um, the paradox that peace can sort of coexist with difficult emotions and difficult, you know, and outrage and, you know, whatever, um, is I think a really important thing to remember and that actually um, when we can be really connected to what we're feeling and not resisting, um, we're, we're in a much better position to then act, then do something and trust that it's coming from a place of less attachment rather than more attachment. It's coming from a place of wisdom rather than just a place of contraction and reaction. And um, I mean, sometimes we talk about practice, the two sides of practice, sitting down and then standing up, you know, and we can't just sit for, you know, forever. And just like, you know, there, there's, there's, that's half of it. And then the other half is how we act, how we, how we express, how we manifest. Um, and, um, and they're both important. And um, yeah, yeah, thank you. Hi. Hmm. I, I think as far as my meditation practice, it's been a couple of years <clears throat> prior to starting to meditate, I never even realized the concept of being present. I've, you know, I've spent my life planning, planning my children, um, when I was going to have them, planning my career, planning my marriage, um, you know, planning my children's future. <laughs> I, I, I have, the times that I have been present in my life have been the most intimate moments of my life, but it's mm. not, it's not um, that often because I'm too busy planning. So um, that is uh, um, one thing that 
you know, I can do, at least sometimes I can be present. You know, I can actually be with you, be with the people that I'm taking care of. Um, probably the other thing that the meditation, my meditation practice is done, which I may be related to my, my work, but I don't take for granted, especially when it comes to now my adult children, and I planned well because they turned out great, <laughs> but anyway, um, when I'm with them, I don't take for granted that I'll ever see them again. Mm. So I am truly present with um, the people that I love because okay. I just don't take that for granted. So that really you know, heightens um, my um, intimacy with them. Beautiful, beautiful. That's, I, I think that, um, beautiful, thank you. I think that often the moments that we remember, and you know, sometimes people say, well, I remember, you know, the birth of my children, I remember the, the, the death of you know, a loved one. Or the, these moments are the moments where we are extraordinarily present. You know, and, and there's, there's, a, there's um, it really feels like being alive. And, and so how can we, yeah, remember, remembering that. And, um, and I also, I, I love how you highlight this other paradox of when we really take in the truth of impermanence, for example, the truth of that there will be a time when we're separated from our loved ones. It makes the times of being together the more precious, the more special. We can really um, savor something that, um, you know, that it won't always be like this and to really appreciate that. And, and so that's one of the blessings of being aligned with how things are, you know, rather than being caught up in our concepts and caught up in our ideas and what, how things should be and have to be. And we all plan, we all, you know, do that is, um, is yeah, this, 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 this extraordinary gift of just presence, simple presence. And so thank you. Thank you very much for your practice and being here and it feels good to to be together and sit and um, I, ho I hope for each of us we find a way to um, remember the peace that um, that's always here that's that's underneath everything that's happening um, there is peace and it's not a far from being a betrayal or um, a disrespecting of the suffering and the difficulty in the world. It's actually, a, it's a way of um, meeting it and, and, 
and being fortified and strengthened and nourished within us so we can meet whatever's happening in the world with, with wisdom and with love. So, so thank you. <laughs>